Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuck. We're here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, this is more of why you need cap space. I'll explain that. Plus, it's not too early for a change, is it? And maybe could have been second team, not third team. We got a lot to discuss. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuck. on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuck. We're here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to YouTube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your browser, search us out, subscribe to the channel. 1,400 subscribers and growing every day. We really appreciate everybody being a part of our community. Leave us a comment, tell us what you think, uh, and follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. You know, the Falcons are eating a whole crap ton of cap space this year in dead cap money so they can free up money for next year. And we'll see what they decide to do with Deion Jones, stay, go, whatever like that. Understand all that. But I think people have the wrong impression about cap space and why you have it. Having a bunch of cap space sounds good in theory, but it's not. And usually when you have cap space, it's because, or when you have lots of cap space, it's because either you've got guys that are just outpricing you or you don't have guys that you've drafted very well that are worthy of second contracts. I'm bringing all of this up because yes, the Falcons have a bunch of cap space next year, but the real reason that you want to have that. And Arthur Smith has said this pro football focus went back and regraded the 2018 NFL draft. Okay. So they went back four years. Guys should be in their fifth year. If your first rounder should be in your fifth year option, Fourth rounders are, you know, in their in their final years here. But the Falcons got a B grade. But I want to go over this list of guys that the Falcons took in 2018. First round pick was Calvin Ridley. Second round pick was Isaiah Oliver. Third round pick was Deidre Sanat. Fourth round pick was Ido Smith. Sixth round pick was Russell Gage. Sixth round pick was Foye Oluokun. Now, I bring that up because... The only guy that re-signed, forget the Ridley thing and the suspension. At this point, Ridley's probably a guy that's not going to be here. He comes back next year. I don't think he's even going to be playing out his fifth-year option. But the only guy that they signed to a second-year deal in that group is Isaiah Oliver for a one-year, $1.25 million contract. Now, was Russell Gage or Foyer Aluakin picks that you could have signed? Well, not with your current cap structure. And, and this, is, this is the reason that you want cap space. It's not so you can go out in the free agent market and spend while. When teams do that, you don't get return on value for it. It's to keep your guys at home. It is much easier to keep guys that you drafted in your organization and keep those guys around. Now, look, I understand there are some free agents that just ball out and they're going to go get some big payday from somebody else because you don't want to put that kind of money into it. But you probably could have afforded if you had next year's cap space to give three for 30 to Russell Gage. Would that be overpaying him some? Probably, but that's the free agent market. 
Could you maybe have worked out a deal for Foyer that if you had the cap space, you could have kept him in Atlanta? Maybe. But that's where the cap space itself becomes much more important. It's not about going out and signing a whole bunch of free agents that come from other. It's it's more about not signing the Dante Fowlers of the world because you have to go get guys and you and you have to. Now, look, if you're a Super Bowl-ready team, right, you can go out and dip your toe into free agency and get yourself a guy that's a piece that you think puts you over the top, right? You know, the first real free agent in NFL history was Reggie White. And they felt like they had a Super Bowl-ready team. They had, you know, Brett Favre and all these guys, and they thought they were really good. Let's go get this defensive stalwart, and, you know, we'll change it. And it worked, obviously, right? But by and large, a lot of times when teams dip their toe in uh, – another good example, the Buffalo Bills this year, right? They went out and got Von Miller. They feel like they have everything ready to go win the Super Bowl right now. Not tomorrow, not next week. Right now they can win the Super Bowl. Okay, what could we use more of? Kill a quarterback. And that's why you go out and get that one piece. But the reason that you want some cap space is to keep those guys at home. And when you have a hundred million dollars of cap space, that sounds great. Oh, you know, next year we'll be able to go into free agency and sign this. Well, a lot of those guys, one, don't, when you have that much cap space, one is you're probably a bad organization that you haven't drafted very well. Think about the draft I just gave you. Your second, third, and fourth round picks only warranted a one-year, $1.25 million deal out of those three guys. The two guys I'm talking about with Gage and Aluka, and those are sixth-round picks. The fact that those guys contributed to your team is surprising in itself. And who knows, in a different situation or time, maybe Ridley would be a guy that would be here long-term or whatever like that, but... It's about keeping your guys here. And when you have a hundred some million dollars, you probably have a bad team that didn't draft well. Well, why do top flight free agents want to come to your organization? You know, the, the top guys want to go play for contenders because they'll find money, right? I mean, the good organizations find money. They find a way. Look at what the Saints have done. We're bringing Landry and we're bringing, you know, uh, Honey Badger and we're doing... They find ways to get money, but guys want to go play for good organizations. That's why the Rams, once they built their core Super Bowl team, they could give away draft picks. We can do this any other. We bring a piece here. We bring Von Miller here. We make a trade. We do all the because we're ready to win the Super Bowl now. Bad organizations with a lot of cap space don't get top flight guys to want to come to their team. You need to keep the guys that you have in place and make sure that those guys don't get away. Because the Falcons' grade for this draft, by the way, is a B grade. And, okay, you can argue, debate that. But the fact that you got a very productive guy in round one and a wide receiver in Calvin Ridley was a little bit of a surprise. But then you hit for sixth-round picks – you kind of hit two home runs in the sixth round. You kind of really hit. Now, your second, third, fourth round, you know, those kind of flamed out. And, you know, say what you will about Oliver, but he's not lived up to expectations. And by and large, other than part of last year when he was healthy, he didn't do anything for this franchise. And Sanat was a no-show. He was might as well been on a milk carton at that point. And Ido Smith, I mean, okay, was just a guy. 
but you hit home runs in your sixth round. Those are the kinds of guys that you want to keep around because those guys will look at your organization and say, I don't think it was a matter of Russell Gage wanted to leave the Falcons, but they knew they couldn't pay him or, or he knew that they couldn't pay him. They were probably going to end up, you know, remember when Matt Ryan got traded and Russell Gage went on his Twitter page and he put the big eye emoji and then he put the, the, the guy that taps his head, like, you know, Hey, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that kind of thing because he knew he made the right decision. And, and I don't know if they would have been, you know, with cap space would have been able to keep Russell Gage, but there wasn't a necessarily a need for Russell Gage to decide that he wanted to bolt for free agency. So, the cap, when we talk about having cap space and we talk about the reasons why you want cap space, it's not about going out into other teams and raiding rosters and bringing guys into your franchise. Cap space is about, I need to keep the guys that I drafted well and put them on second contracts so that I don't have to roll. When I, if I re-sign Gage and Foyer, I know what I'm getting with those two guys. Because they're in my system. I see them every day. I know what I'm getting. When I roll the dice on, uh, what's his name? Dante Fowler. I'm hoping for something, but I don't know for sure what I'm getting, if he'll be a fit or not. And that's where you get yourself in trouble. You got to sign your own guys first. And Arthur Smith brought that point up specifically. All right, when we get back, third team? Okay. Maybe it could have been second team. We'll discuss that next. It is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back at it on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Head over to YouTube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your browser, subscribe to our YouTube page, and of course, follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. The all NBA teams were announced yesterday. So, first team was Giannis, Luca, Joker, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum. Second team, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, and John Morant. Third team, Carl Anthony Towns, LeBron James, Chris Paul, uh, Pascal Siakam, and our own Trey Young made the third team. Now, first off, let me congratulate Trey. And the biggest thing for Trey Young is by making the third team All-NBA, he picked himself up $35 million. And by the way, you know how much of that's guaranteed? All of it. $35 million. Not a bad gig, right? But it is an interesting point. Um, you know, I've talked to several NBA writers, and, and I sort of knew this was coming, that it would be third team. It is interesting that the guy who played the eighth most minutes in the NBA while handing out the most assists and scoring the most points, which is only the second time in history that a guy has handed out the most assists and scored the most points in a season. Nate Archibald, the only other guy to do that. In the entire history of the league, in a league full of lists and things like that, the only two guys ever to do that. And again, for a guy whose reputation was durability, toughness, this guy and the other, he played the eighth most minutes in the league. But I've asked guys about why would Trey Young only be a third team player? I said, what has he done that, what has he not done that John Morant's done? And they brought up the fact of winning. Now, I call this the Peter King theory. It's the 35,000 foot view. When Peter King in the NFL, the NFL writer, he knows more about the entirety of the NFL than you and I do, okay? More insiders, more uh, understanding of the league. But you and I understand the Atlanta Falcons specifically better than he does because we're here every day. We cover it. We live it. We go to games. We watch. We're at practice. We do this. We do that. 
we eat, breathe, and sleep Atlanta Falcons football. So we'll know in the market more than what Peter King does. Well, take that over in the NBA. Guys are looking at highlights and things like that. Nobody is watching every minute of every NBA game and breaking it down. So with that, because the Hawks had expectations coming into this year, when you look at a guy like Trey Young, I think this definitely influenced people. When you look at a guy like Trey Young and the expectations of him leading this franchise, this, that, and the other, they look at a Hawks team that was fighting for dear life to get into the playoffs, fledged around all season long, and only found itself in the 9-10 play-in matchup and had to win a couple of games. So a guy like Trey Young went from being the babe in the, in the bell of the ball last year off his playoff run to, oh, well, maybe they weren't so good and maybe he's not the leader. And it brings up some of these false narratives. I'm not telling you this is right, wrong, or indifferent. But if you look, for instance, and I'm not knocking John Moran because it's going to come off sound like this, but Moran only played 57 games this year. And if you look at the Memphis Grizzlies record, yes, they were the second seed in the West, but their record was as good without John Moran as it was with John Moran. And then I had some people tell me, well, you know, John Morant plays defense this and the other. He does? They're a bad defensive team when he plays. If you look at defensive metrics, Trey Young's defensive metric score is about 118. John Morant's 111. Trey grades out as a better defensive player than John Morant does. So, again, we get into these narratives that aren't true. And I understand the team success in this, then, and the other. But when a guy doesn't play a whole bunch of games, we had an 82-game season. He played 57 games. Think about how many games that is that he missed this year, and your team is as good without you as they are with you? Because that wasn't the case for Trey Young, but for Memphis and John Morant, it was. And it just brings up some of these narratives about what the Hawks are, what the expectation was. I think there's a lot of things that went into it. But you would think that just on the surface, I bet I'll bet you I'll, I'll guarantee you a lot of writers knew that Trey Young scored the most points and handed out the most assists because that stat has been brought up a million times over. And again, Nate Archibald, the only other guy in the history of the league. I'll bet you most guys don't know that Trey Young played the eighth most minutes in the league this year. I'll bet you if you brought that stat up to guys they'd be surprised by that. The, the national nudniks that, you know, are voting in this NBA, you know, uh, ballroom dancing contest of it. Does it matter at the end of the day? No, but it is because the built-in excuse isn't there. So for instance, people were like, why did Joel Embiid only get the second team all NBA? Why was he not first team? Because realistically, they're only, they only take one center. It's it's still the old fashioned two forwards, two guards, and a center, right? We can that's a separate debate about what it should have, but in that format, Joker was the MVP of the league, and so he got first team. Embiid, while being the runner up in the MVP, it sounds kind of crazy that the guy who was number two in the MVP race was only second team NBA. It's because of the position that he plays. There isn't that same case to be made with Trey Young. I think he absolutely should have been second team all NBA and by whatever metric that you want to use. But I think for a lot of guys, and I have talked specifically to some of these guys, 
they look at winning. But they're not diving into the minutia of what Memphis is with or without um, John Morant. They just see John Morant on a Tuesday night in November have a big slam dunk over some guy, right? That's all that they catch out of all of this. They don't see the minutia. They don't look at the numbers. They don't dive into how much he played, didn't play. What was his team's record with and without? Because they're covering the entire league as a whole. They're not in charge of covering the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm in charge of watching and covering the Atlanta Hawks and and seeing what they do and talking about it on a day-to-day, night-to-night basis. So I'm in tune with what the Hawks look like. But I can, when I see something like this and I say, wait a second, should John Morant be in over Trey Young? That's when I can go directly to the Memphis Grizzlies page and start breaking it down one-on-one versus all that. So, again, I know in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean a whole lot because Trey Young got $35 million to be third-team All-NBA. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. But it is kind of interesting that Trey Young had the season that it, if Trey Young had won probably, let's say, a, been a 50-win team instead of a 43-win team, I think it have absolutely been second team all NBA, but that's what happens when these writers are looking at and living in some of the bubble where it's the 35,000 foot view versus the micro view that we have here in our hometown. All right. When uh, we get back, I don't think it's too early to talk about a change for the Atlanta Braves. That's next hitting hard with John Chuckery on locked on sports Atlanta back with you on hitting hard with John Chuckery on locked on sports Atlanta head over to our YouTube page, youtube.com, put locked on sports Atlanta in the browser, subscribe, leave us a comment, tell us what you think, and then follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH three one six Braves one Braves one Braves one Braves one six to five right last night over the Philadelphia Phillies. But you know, I still go back and I start looking at this team and thinking about, you know, what has to get better and what has to change and things like that. And one of the things that I look at is, is Adam Duvall being used in the right role right now? You know, Duvall has certainly had his struggles on offense. He's got two homers, 16 RBI, 52 strikeouts in 42 games and 148 at-bats, 196 for his batting average, 284 slugging, and a 546 um, OPS thus far. But the main thing is he's played in 42 of their 43 games this year. And by the way, not DHing, he's playing center field every day. And I asked the question, is it maybe too early or is it not too early to think about making some kind of change? Duvall to me is a guy that at 33 years old, I'm not sure that he should be playing center field on your starting world series team every single day. Now, Again, you'll go back and say, well, you know, Chuckry, he, he led the league in RBI. I get all that last year. This ain't last year. And he's 33 years old playing center field every day. He didn't play center field every day for this team last year. And you could, you know, you could use him in a rotation of some guys last year. I, I just think that I look and, and I think that maybe Adam Duvall is the guy that's really probably being overworked right now. And because of it, his numbers are suffering for it. So whether that's you bring up Drew Waters, forget Michael Harris, we've discussed that. There's no reason to bring up a double-A guy right now. That's not going to be your savior on this team. But if you brought up a Drew Waters or, and I know Waters was hurt, so let me let me go ahead and put that. I know Waters was hurt. I know he hasn't played a whole ton, but if that's where you want to go, or 
if you want to go find yourself another center fielder, and I don't mean Heredia or Arcia or whatever, that to me is not an option either. I'm talking about like what they did last year with a Soler, Rosario, Jock Peterson, where you find a guy who you could plug in to be an everyday center fielder. Doesn't mean he plays every day because you still put Duvall in there, but you could DH Duvall, rest him a little bit, play him some center because the other answer is moving Ronnie back to center field. He's not ready for that, and there's no reason for him. With all due respect, if I have to have one guy kind of flounder and struggle, I'd much rather be Adam Duvall than Ronald Acuna Jr. Those two guys aren't on the same stratosphere about what I need for my ball club. But I feel like right now we're asking too much of Adam Duvall to play every day to play center field at 33 years old. Not saying he's an ancient guy, but 33 in baseball is different than 33 in just your normal everyday life. And the position of center field, I don't think I can over, over say this too much, but that is a hard position. That is truly one of the harder positions in Major League Baseball. You have to have a lot of, you know, I always joke about, I grew up watching Kenny Lofton play center field with Albert Bell and Manny Ramirez. And the fact that Lofton was the gold glove winner like five times tells you a lot because he had two slugs in left and right field that they couldn't get from one foul line to the other foul line if they were riding a horse. It's not an easy position to play. And I don't think that 33-year-old Adam Duvall, his best role, now I understand why. It's a big necessity. And now Rosario's out and you didn't sign Solaire and this, that, and the other. But it doesn't mean that at this stage of the game, you can't find a way to make a change to your roster and either trade for a guy, bring up one of your minor leaguers or something for it. But I do think that right now, center field is a position that is not helping you. And I understand Duvall's defense. He's a plus defender. I get that. He's a gold glove caliber defender. I get that. But you're going to run him down. And at some point, he's either going to get hurt or you're just not going to get any production out of him. And you're seeing that right now. You're, you're seeing the idea of 196, and he's not even a 300 slugging, and he's only got a couple of home runs, and he's striking out a crap ton. I just think it's playing too much and being asked to do too much every day for a 33-year-old. If you got another center fielder that you could mix in there, I think the value of Adam Duvall goes up. You want to make him a late-game defender? Cool. Bring him that. You want to play him some DH? Cool. You could do that. You want to just sit him for a couple of days. Unfortunately, right now, it's hard to sit him for a couple of days because you don't feel secure at center field with the options that you have of Heredia or Demerit or Arcia. Like I said, those guys are not options. I'm not saying you got to rebuild the whole outfield, but I don't think that adding a piece right now would be that bad of an idea. It's never too early to make your ball club better. And the job of Alex Anthopoulos is, am I better tomorrow than I am today? And I don't know, I, again, I've not gone through the, the marketplace to see who's available, this, that, and the other. But surely you know, the way you found Rosario and some things like that, and, and for all the good that Alex Anthopoulos has done in finding capable guys to come in here, 
maybe you can find that same thing in center field. Because this is starting to get to a point where it doesn't matter where you move Duvall down in the lineup. You can move him, you can move him to 20th. You know, I mean, he could hit 20th in a lineup. And if he's having to play every day and he's having a man center field every day and log all these games and innings and everything like that, what do you expect? You're going to get, there's going to be some diminishing return. And in this case, it's the 196 batting average, 284 slugging, only two homers. And look, Duvall already is not a guy who is going to hit for high average or things like that, but you want his power. You want his bat at times in the lineup. Well, again, if I could DH him a little bit, or if I could give him a rest every couple of days, because he is 33 years old, he is, you know, a guy that's been around the league for a while and things like that. He's not, I don't think a fresh young 33 years old. I don't think that would be a bad idea for this team. And like I said, I don't care if it's a drew waters or, or you, you go make a trade or whatever like that, but bringing in another guy to give you something to be able to spell. Cause I don't want Ronnie playing center field. I don't want that. You saw that taxing his legs in right field, the way that they did didn't help Ronnie. It wasn't so much a matter, a matter of that. His knee led to an injury. It's a matter of the way he plays baseball where he's all out. I'm, I'm running to the foul pole to get me a ball. Um, I'm scoring from first on a bloop double the way he plays the game of baseball just was sort of an overexertion. I think we're getting that with Adam Duvall right now. It was a good win, and hopefully you can start to turn, you know, these. hopefully the Braves are going to get this thing turned around and, and get a little bit more consistently on track. But I just think that that's the one position now that I look at and say, hey, man, is there somebody that can give Duvall a little bit of a break? Can we go find somebody to play outfield that will take some of that burden off my 33-year-old everyday center fielder? That's just a lot to ask, and I think it's a tough assignment for Duvall to get himself mixed up in. Well, I want to thank you for being a part of our show today. Thanks for making listen uh, for making a hit and hard with John Chuck for your first listen. Want to remind you that we want your second listen to be A to Z with Mark Zinno. Mark is back uh, doing things uh, in the Atlanta sports scene. Uh, it may be the opinions that you don't always like, but you know it's the opinions that you've got to listen to out there. That is free and available on our YouTube page, free and available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, this show as well, downloaded on all of your favorite podcast platforms, whether it's Odyssey, Spotify, we're available everywhere to you. We also want you to give us a follow on my personal Twitter page, at JMCH316. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta.